Our scripture this morning comes from Matthew 26, verses 17 through 19, and then verses 26 through 29. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom." We have here at the Last Supper the final request of Jesus. This is the last request He makes of His disciples. And He says to them, guys, would you do something? Would you remember Me with this bread? Would you remember Me with this cup? This was very important to him, wasn't it, here at the Last Supper? What does he do? He inaugurates a perpetual remembrance, a perpetual celebration of what he has come to do. We call it Holy Communion. Some people call it the Eucharist. Others call it the Lord's Supper. My friend Jack Miller used to call it the special kiss from the Lord. Next Sunday morning, not today, but next Sunday morning, at the end of our Easter celebration, we are going to have the Lord's Supper together. And I'm glad to come to this text today in many ways simply to prepare you again as we should be prepared every time we take the Lord's Supper together. We call it one of the sacraments of the church. And if you remember from your membership orientation or from your communicants class, you know that a sacrament is a visible, tangible, tactile uh, uh, sign from the Lord where we participate in who Jesus is and what He has done for us. We believe there's two sacraments. What are they? There's baptism. Baptism that came out of the Old Testament sign of inclusion into the covenant community. What was that sign? Back then it was circumcision, but now it is baptism into the new covenant community. And then, number two, established on this night, evolving from the Passover, we have the Lord's Supper, an ongoing sign of the Lord's covenantal commitment 
to his people and our inclusion in his family and all the benefits that are ours from belonging to Christ. So, that leads us right into point number one. And if you look in your outline, we are called by this text to remember the feast of the Passover, or as we called it a few weeks ago, the cover-over, which Jesus actually celebrated that night that He instituted the Lord's Supper. And that's verses 17 through 19. You can see how important the Passover was to Jesus and His disciples, to all the good Jewish people of that day. They wanted to prepare the meal. Lord, where do we prepare it? And Jesus says, you go to the city and you find a certain man. Mark tells us how they're to identify him. And you say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. And when you hear that, if you've been with us as we've studied through the gospel of Matthew over these past two years, you will remember there were times when it says, his time had not yet come, right? Do you remember that? My time is not yet, Jesus says. And he actually, they come in to kill him, and he walks through the crowd, you know. Say, Why? Because my time is not yet. <laughs> but now, now the time has come. What, what has come? It will be on this Passover that Jesus Christ will become the fulfillment of the Passover lamb, broken his body on the cross, and there his blood will be shed. And so on this night, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus establishes a new meal, as it were, that will mark a better Passover, a new covenant for this is now the time for the crowning moment of the redemption of God's people. Why is the Passover so significant? Our Jewish friends here on Long Island, many of you know, they, they're celebrating the Passover this weekend. Why is it so significant? Well, let me remind you just a few weeks ago, can you remember back about a month when we studied verse 2 of chapter 26? And Jesus said, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And Jesus makes very clear what will happen during the Passover. You know, the chief priests and the scribes, they said, whatever you do, don't arrest Jesus at the Passover. We'll wait nine days or so. And Jesus says, in two days, it will happen. Why did Jesus want his death? Why did God in his eternal plan, why did the Lord want it to happen on the Passover? Well, if you go back to Exodus chapter 12, way back in the beginning of the Bible, you remember that Moses instituted the Passover, and he gave instructions to Israel to remember every year in a festival, remember what happened on that first night, Exodus 12. 21 through 23, it records it for us. And remember that Moses instructs the fathers, the head of the clans, that night to take a lamb, an unblemished lamb. And he inspects it to see that it is perfect. 
And he calls to his son. He says, come, get the basin and hold it underneath, for this will be the sacrifice to the Lord this night. And he takes the knife and he slays the lamb, and his son catches the blood in the basin. The father skins the lamb. He gives the meat to his wife and says, quickly, roast it, prepare it for our meal. And then he says, gather for me some hyssop, that ferny leaf, and watch my wife, my children, my neighbors, what I am about to do. And they go to the doorway, and he takes the blood on the hyssop, and he scatters it across the lintel at the top and the doorposts. And the children look at each other and say, what is he doing? And the father says to them, this is the night that God's judgment will fall upon Pharaoh and the firstborn of each household. And the destroying angel of the Lord will come across Egypt. But this blood the Lord himself will take as a sign and the Lord himself will cover over us to stop the destroying angel from coming into this house. Stay inside the house, my children, my wife, my friends. Stay inside under the blood. For tonight will be our deliverance. Where will the Lord cover over the Israelites? You know the answer. It's wherever he sees the blood. And so Jesus is about to create a new symbolic meal to replace the old one. And this meal will be given to the new covenant community. For as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Oh, my friends, Israel needed a patterned activity. They needed a regular festival. Why? To remember. Because we forget. Don't we forget? And God in his wisdom knows we need that patterned activity to remember who he is and what he has done for us, our great redemption. And so on this night, Jesus teaches us how we will remember what he has done and how we will engage with him in the moment, to experience our benefits as Christians. Now to points 2, 3, and 4. Point 2 in verse 26, you'll see Jesus actually institutes the breaking of the bread. And he explains what it means. Then in point 3, verses 27 and 28, Jesus institutes the, the, the sharing of the cup from the fruit of the vine. And he explains what that means. And then in verse 29, he makes this marvelous pledge to us. And we will revel in the promise he makes. So, point two, Jesus says to you, take, eat, this is my body. And in Luke's gospel, he says, please take it, eat it, and do this in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, this has become a part of the regular rhythm of the church through the centuries and here at the North Shore Community Church. The elders have said we will do this every month together. And what will we do? We will stop. Because you know what? Your lives are so busy. 
Your lives are so full. Your teachers have given you so many assignments. Your parents have given you so many chores. Your children want, them, want you to drive them all over the place. Your boss has given you more than you can possibly do. And so, you need to stop. You need to look. You need to take. And you need to engage the Lord. And so Jesus doesn't just say, okay, guys, time to eat. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. No, this is a holy moment. He takes the bread. He shows it to them. He gives thanks for it, and he breaks it. And then he explains it. This is my body. How do you understand this? You know, the church has has gone uh, actually to two great extremes in their interpretation of this, this sacrament of communion. On the one hand, there is what could be called the magical view. The magical view is that whenever the, the, the head honcho up front here says, breaks the bread and says, this is my body, that it sort of magically transforms into the literal body of Jesus and... and um, and so because you ingest that, you get the grace. You eat the wafer, you get the grace, even if you don't really even understand what's going on. And that's sort of the magical view. Uh, the, the old Latin phrase, ex opera apparato, in the doing it is done. Well, that's one view, the magical view. On the other hand, the church has sometimes minimized it. And they've seen it more like a mirage. It's like, yeah, a memory. Jesus said do this to remember, so we'll stop and, and remember. But what is a mirage? A mirage is something you see, right? You're driving down the road and you see it, but when you get there, there ain't nothing there. But in our tradition, and as we understand the Bible and as it's taught in the catechisms and the confessions uh, that our church embraces, it's neither magical and nor is it a mirage, but it is an engagement with the real spiritual, and that's the crucial word, the real spiritual presence of the Lord in that moment as we come together having heard the word preached and the elements distributed and you stop, you take, and you eat. It is a moment of real spiritual presence of the Lord engaging with you and ministering to you. And you participate in the blessings of Jesus. Where do we get that? We get that from Scripture in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. It's in your outline. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And so it becomes that moment when we engage and participate with Him with something greater than just what the Word indicates. So, for Jesus does this often. You remember He said about the temple. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now, Jesus was not made of bricks and cement, like that gorgeous temple in Jerusalem. 
What did he mean? He meant that that temple, that earthly temple, wherein there was the Shekinah glory of God, that was just a tiny shadow of the reality that he embodied as the God-man who walked this earth, the true dwelling place of God among men. Other times, Jesus would say things like, I am the door. What do you think he meant? He wasn't a literal door. And yet, you know, the Bible teaches that the only way we can enter into heaven is through him. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. He is the doorway back into the Holy of Holies with God. And Jesus says, John 6, 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the light life of the world. So what is eating? Eating is believing. Eating is equated by Jesus many times as believing, engaging. And so that's what we do. And here's the point. When you come to communion next Sunday after, uh, after the sermon and we distribute the elements to you right at that moment, you take, you receive the bread, and the Christian believes. It is a moment to exercise faith and to acknowledge that the Lord is with you. You say, my faith is strong. That's good. Let your faith then be strengthened. Somebody else will say, yeah, but, but my faith is puny. But if you belong to Christ, then you come with your puny faith. I sometimes come with puny faith. And what does he do? But he enlarges our heart. He opens our eyes, our spiritual eyes. He unstops our ears. And we hear the music of the gospel. And we have that sweet embrace and that kiss of the Father upon us. These are the words Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 11. For I received... From the Lord, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Why does he use this metaphor of eating here. Why do you think? Well, I think you know. What happens if you don't eat? You get weak. And then if you don't eat, you die from starvation. And so Jesus is saying, just as your body needs fuel, needs food, so does your soul. And I, Jesus says, I am that food for you. Here, now, take, eat, he's saying. Believe and trust in me. And if you don't do it, well, you'll forget. And we don't want to forget him. So... The bread is important, but the bread is not nearly as important as what the bread signifies. You know, 
My wife was away for a couple of weeks. I have these great photographs of her. They're on my phone. And I look at them and I remember how sweet she is and how I long to be with her. But when she comes back, do you think I embrace the photograph on my phone? No. I want what the photograph signifies. I want to embrace her. And I did. And you see, that's what happens in communion. We get the bread, and then we embrace Christ as he has embraced us. Take, eat. This is my body. Now, if you go on to verses 27 and 28, Jesus takes up the cup, and he urges his disciples to drink from it. And he says to you, listen, he addresses this to you who are his disciples, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And some of the manuscripts have the word the new covenant. Others uh, don't. But this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And if you take this apart, you get this phrase, the blood of the covenant. And this is, Jesus is actually quoting from the Old Testament. Did you know that? What's he talking about? Well, these disciples would have known the book of Exodus, and their minds would go back to Exodus 24, verses 7 and 8. And that is that place where, after the deliverance of the Passover, and God takes them through the Red Sea and assembles them at Mount Sinai, there they worship Him, and God constitutes them as His special people and makes a covenant with them. And Moses... Moses offers a sacrifice there, and he takes the blood from the sacrifice and pours it on the altar. And that, why, why would he do that? Because that's the way in the ancient world that covenants were ratified. That just means that's the way they were signed and sealed, right? You go to your settlement to, to buy your house, and you have a notary who signs and seals it. Well, they did it with blood in the ancient world. But then Moses does something else. And this is amazing. He says, this is the blood of the covenant. And he takes more of that blood and he showers it out on the people there around him. He spatters them with blood and he says, yes, you are engaged with the God who has approved this sacrifice. And he is now in covenant with you. Now, when he speaks about the blood, he's quoting, this is the blo my blood of the covenant, but he changed a word. There's one word that's different from what Moses said. He said, this is my blood of the covenant. It's easy to miss this. It's no longer the blood of the covenant. This is my blood of the covenant. And he's saying to his disciples, look guys, let me tell you something. My friends, I am the one who, through the shedding of my blood, is going to constitute a new covenant. And my blood is going to do it. We all know instinctively that the blood of bulls and the blood of goats and the blood of sheep cannot cover sins, cannot take away sins. The book of Hebrews tells us that. But he says, 
The blood shed here is not symbolic. The blood is mine. It's real. Now, you have this phrase then that is poured out for many. And when he says that, that he dies for the sins of many, what does he mean by that? And the apostle explains it actually in the book of Ephesians when he talks about the um, uh, husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. And then he speaks of Christ who loved her and gave himself for her. So he gave himself for his church. There is a sense in which then that, that giving of Christ is particular for the many who are in his church. But really the emphasis here is that this blood, is, this death is for the many, not the few. Okay, do you get that? It's for the many, not the few. It's not just for the few among the people of Israel. But how many people will this be for? Well, the book of Revelation tells us it will be for people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Who will it be for? It will be for white people. It will be for black people. It will be for Asian people. It will be for Latino people. It will be for Eskimos and Aborigines. It will be for males and females. It will be for young and old. Your tribe, your race, the color of your skin will make no difference and should never make a difference in the body of Christ for it makes no difference to Jesus. And he does it Now, why? He says at the end of the phrase, for the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. Oh, friends, as he says this, their brains, their minds go back to Jeremiah 31, where it is promised by the prophet that there will be a new covenant. And what does Jeremiah 31, 14 say? It says, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord Here it comes. Are you ready? For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. One second. All right. Can I go ahead, Michael? I will remember your sins no more. Your sins my sins. The Lord's Supper is not for people who aren't sinners, is it? If you've never sinned, you don't need the forgiveness of sins. Well, Pastor John, I drive the speed limit. Do you? Pastor John, I drive the speed limit. I pay my taxes and I don't kick the dog. I think I'm just fine. Well, I meet people like that, and we would say they are not those who need the cup of the blood of Christ. But I would ask you whether all your actions and all your attitudes and all your words have come out of a heart that loves the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And whether all your actions and all your attitudes and all your words have been an expression of love to your neighbor as much as you love yourself, 
Because that is what the law requires, Jesus tells us. And I don't know about you, but I am first in line to need the forgiveness of sins. And so, this cup is for me. What about you? For those of us who know we fall short of God, then communion becomes the time to examine our hearts, becomes the moment to stop, take, confess, and then look to the cross where there we see the blood shed for us, the covering of the blood that is over us, the blood that paid for us. How could it possibly pay? The answer is that Jesus is the God-man. Jesus is God and fully man. And so he satisfies the righteousness and justice of God and he represents humanity perfectly because he was made like us in all things and tempted like us in all things, yet without sin. So he is the unblemished lamb sacrificed for us. The Lord became the lamb slain for you and me. When you take communion, you got to stop and don't think about the basketball game in the afternoon. Don't think about teeing off on the golf course. Don't think about all that you have to do at work or the homework assignments that have piled up because you didn't do it yesterday. Don't think about those things. Okay? Stop punching your brother. Don't worry about your kids. Stop. This is a moment for you to do business with God and to invite Him to do business with you. Can you do that? That's what we do when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And you know, as he ends this time, Jesus makes this marvelous pledge, and this is point four, and you see it in verse 29. Listen to it with me. Then he says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so, at the Last Supper, Jesus not only spoke about his death, but he speaks to us now about His second coming, that He is coming again. And I wonder if you know that. For some of you, this might be a new idea. Did you know that Jesus Christ is coming again at the end of history? And do you know what He's going to do when He establishes His kingdom in fullness and He ushers His people in through the gate of heaven? Do you know that He's not just going to drop you off, you know? And you can look at the wander around in the lobby. Have you ever been to the Ritz-Carlton? You, you go around and you look at the, at the lobby, you know? No. He's not just going to drop you off at the door. Do you know what he's going to do? He is going to bring you into a banquet. That's what it says in the book of Revelation. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. And there will be the feast and the, and the food and the wine will flow freely. And who will be there? He tells us. 
He will be there. Who else? You will be there. You will be there. Right in the front, you will be there at the feast of the kingdom with Jesus. And he, in fact, in some amazing way, becomes the food that we eat. He is the wine of heaven and the living water of heaven. The Holy Spirit is the atmosphere which we will breathe and we will live forever in this magnificent communion celebrating, rejoicing, and feasting our souls enlarged on the Lord. I don't know what it will be like, but I can't wait. What about you? When we take communion, Paul says you show forth his death, but what's the last phrase of 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six? We show forth his death until he comes. And when he comes... He will sup with us the wine of heaven in his kingdom forever and ever. So, Jesus made his final request to the disciples. And as his faithful disciples, we at the North Shore Community Church, we will obey him. And we'll do it next Sunday after the Easter sermon. And we will stop, and we will take, and we will receive, and we will feed, and broken hearts will be tended to. And folks in despair will emerge with hope. And people who are weeping will have others, yes, weeping around them, but they will know that though I have a tear in my eye, there is joy in my heart because my Savior wept for me and died for me. And we, we will rise from that place confident because he rose from the dead. So, prepare your hearts this week. It's going to be a great week that we will have together as a church family. And then come and feed on Jesus in your hearts by faith. Let's pray, shall we? God, our Father, How grateful we are that on that final night, Jesus taught us, we his disciples, to take, to eat, an expression of faith. We are to have faith as we engage with you. And then will you come and minister to us? Certainly, Lord, every time we take the Lord's Supper, let it never be a rote ritual Disabuse us of looking at at it like magic. Please, disabuse us of looking at it like a mirage. And may we experience your real spiritual presence in our hearts and in our collective body as a church. Oh, we love you. And then may that echo with us through the week and through the month, every day, feeding on Christ, the bread of life, feeding on you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, you in the room here, let's stand together, and you with us online, would you sing and worship the Lamb of God who 